Jeremiah 15, 15 through 18. Oh, Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. Your words were found and I ate them. Your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name. O Lord God of hosts, I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone, because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with all indignation. Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. My name is uh, Andrew. I'm the campus pastor here. And uh, while it's fresh on your mind, should we let Phil do the announcements again next year or should we not do that? Yeah, do it. All right. Well, he left, so you ha- that was your chance to be honest. Um, all right, we'll let him do it again. <laughs> well, there are certain things uh, that uh, everybody does. Everybody eats, everybody sleeps, everybody goes to the bathroom. I know that's where your mind is going. Um, Everybody hates pain, everybody loves pleasure and good things, and everybody likes pizza and likes Star Wars, right? These are just universal things about human nature. It doesn't matter where you're from, when you were born, even what you believe in some ways. There are just certain things that everybody does. And and one of those things that we often don't, we don't put on that list is prayer. Everybody prays. it's, It's this human, it's this universal human phenomenon, right? Christians pray, Buddhists, Muslims Uh, Jews, non-religious people pray, Uh, atheists even pray, right? Everybody prays, especially if you define prayer around this, this, you have these feelings of gratitude when you encounter beauty or truth or goodness and you want to thank someone, it's innate in you. That's a half-uttered prayer, isn't it? Or in those moments of of fear when life feels totally out of your control, right? There's a loved one who's out late and they're not back yet and the phone rings, right? You, You pray in those moments. Uh, or that, this, that time this year, right, I got in a car accident. I, I prayed in that moment. I really did. Uh, uh, things, I, I th- probably said things in my mind that I, I would never repeat to you up front here today, but I, I prayed, right? We, in those moments where we feel like death is imminent or, or dismemberment is imminent, right? We, the, the words come out. We pray. William James um, was, you know, he's called the father of American psychology. He, he once said it this way. I love it. He said, the reason why we pray is simply that we cannot help praying. Everybody prays. But the most important thing is not if we pray, uh, we do. It's, it's how we pray and to whom we pray. These matter a great deal. And Jeremiah in our passage that you, that you just heard read, uh, he gives us an example. He gives us a pattern of biblical prayer. And it's one that I, I want us to look at. And it says a lot about who Jeremiah is, and, and we'll get into kind of his story a little bit more, but It says even more about who God is, the God he trusted and prayed to. So my question I want you to have in mind this morning is, who who do we pray to? Do we pray to the God of Jeremiah or do we pray to somebody else? Do do we pray to the divine vending machine where when we need something we put a quarter in? Do we pray to the adult Santa Claus in the sky who who gives us good things if if we're doing, you know, for doing the right things, being good moral people? Or do we, do we pray to the God of history? Do we pray to the God of 
Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Who do you pray to? Let, let's, let's find out. So if, if you haven't turned to chapter 15 yet of, of Jeremiah, do that now in Jeremiah chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 10. Now, if you haven't been with us the last few weeks, or maybe you've, you've missed a few, we're in a series on the life of Jeremiah. And uh, Jeremiah, if you, if, just so you know, he's a prophet of God to Judah, to God's people, uh, in about the 7th century B.C., And he was given, we talked a lot about this, he was given a very, very, very difficult job, a very difficult task in life. He was to preach judgment, God's judgment against God's people to them, hoping that some might repent and turn back. And specifically, a lot of what he talked about is the Babylonian Empire to the north, this this, this growing regional superpower, Babylon, was preparing to take over kind of the known world at the time. And, and part of that known world was Judah itself. And they were, they were preparing to come and invade and take over uh, the promised land. And, and Jeremiah was one of the only people who saw this coming and knew it was going to happen, knew it was going to come to pass. And I just want you to put yourself in that place, his place, for just a minute. Can you imagine knowing something that terrible is imminent? And no one will listen to you. Like the agony of screaming at the top of your lungs. There's danger coming. Change your ways, repent. And, every, and people just walking by you, just ignoring you. And that's, that's Jeremiah's life, right? He's made fun of, he's attacked and persecuted because of this. Day in and day out, this is his experience. And so just before his prayer here in chapter 15, uh, God has told Jeremiah again, this is in chapter 14, he's told Jeremiah again, listen, I'm, my judgment's coming. This is happening. He's reminding Jeremiah, keep, keep saying my word. I'm going to judge my, my people. And we talked more specifically about <clears throat> how to think about God's judgment in this context a few sermons ago. If you, if you didn't catch that one, I invite you to go download it and listen to it later this week. But, but Jeremiah, he hears this word again and he, he begins to plead with God. He says, God, don't do this. There has to be another way. There has to be another way to get your people's attention, to draw them back to yourself. Don't do this, God, don't. And, and God responds in, in, chapter, in chapter 14, Jeremiah pleads. And beginning of chapter 15, God responds. He says, Jeremiah, even if Moses and Samuel, right, these two um, giants of prophets in the Old Testament, he says, even if Moses and Samuel are standing before me today, I will not relent. This is going to happen. My judgment is coming. And so when you get to verse 10 of chapter 15, uh, Jeremiah is in a very, very, very dark place, very dark place. He, uh, the, you know, he's in this place where the Jewish, his, his countrymen won't listen to him. He feels like God won't listen to me, and I'm caught in the middle. And so you see in verse 10, he, he, the way he begins to process this is he, he's kind of almost talking to himself. He loathes the day he was born. That's verse 10. He says, woe is me, my mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. He's saying, I wish I'd never been born. I wish I was never a prophet. And if you remember back in chapter one, when God calls Jeremiah for the first time, he says, from the womb, I consecrated you to be a prophet. From before you were born, I chose you. And Jeremiah is saying here, God, if you had given me the choice between being a prophet or not being born at all, I choose not. I choose no life. That's how terrible this is. That's the moment Jeremiah is in. And so like we all do, 
when we feel overwhelmed at the end of our rope and that life's out of control, we pray. Jeremiah prays. And I want you to hear the emotion of his, of his prayer. So look at verse 15. He, he starts, O Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me and my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away and know that for your sake I bear reproach. Now it's hard to, in some ways in the English, he's terrified here. He's terrified. Almost everyone he knows hates him. They threaten his life probably daily and they know where he lives as he preaches in the temple. He spends nights in jail for preaching what God tells him to, to preach. We'll talk more about that next week. He's a laughingstock to his whole country. Jeremiah knows the way people see me, right? I'm the crazy guy on the corner with the cardboard sign that says the end is near. That's how people see him. So Jeremiah, you're ridiculous. That's not going to happen. And he's sick of it. He's saying, God, remember, you put me here. Now get me out. In your forbearance, God, in your patience, in your slowness of your plan, I'm going to get killed in the meantime. Hurry up. Do something. He's terrified and he's lonely. Look at, look at verse 16. He says, your words, God, were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart for I'm called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me for you had filled me with indignation. Jeremiah's saying, I've been faithful to you, God. I love your word. I can't, I, I can't help but love your word anymore. It's a part of me now. You put it in me. And all I've gotten from my effort and my faithfulness is loneliness. I can no longer be with the partiers or with other people because I know too much now, God. I can't rejoice. I'm all alone because your hand is on me and you won't let me go. He's, and he's hurt. Look at verse 18. The first part of verse 18 says, why is my pain unceasing? My wound incurable, refusing to be healed. You know, the hardest part of Jeremiah's life wasn't just that it was hard. It's that it was always hard. It was unrelenting. It was every day, every moment. He says, it's like a wound that will not close. Every day, the same pain. It never relieves. It never gets easier. It never gets better. Never. And Jeremiah, in the midst of all this, he begins to doubt God. And you see it in verse 18, the end of verse 18. He says, will you be to me like a deceitful brook? Like lying water, like waters that fail? And Jeremiah says to God, you know, I used to preach to people that you were living water. Okay, that was Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah said to the people, forget your broken cisterns, come to the living water. Come to the streams of life. He says, you know, I used to preach that to people, that you never let us down, that you never disappoint us, but, but now for me, God, you are like a mirage in the, wilder, in the desert. And the harder I run after you, the farther away you get. Remember when you said you'd be there for me? Where are you now? Why did you deceive me? Right, that's what he says. Why did you lie to me, God? Now hit pause there for a second. Okay, Jeremiah is saying things in this prayer, if we're really paying attention, that I don't know if we would say to another living soul about God. Right, there are pains and fears and doubts and accusations in this prayer that seem downright blasphemous, don't they? Like when you get right down to it. 
They seem faithless and weak and desperate, and yet here they are. Here's Jeremiah, prophet of God, praying all of it to God himself, recorded in Scripture. My, my question for you is, do you pray like this? Do you pray with everything you've got? That's what Jeremiah is doing, with everything he's got. Do you pray like this? Do you hold nothing back? You know, C.S. Lewis, he's a Christian author, uh, he once wrote about prayer, uh, this, this insight. He said, prayer at its most powerful is praying what is actually in you and not what ought to be in you. Prayer at its most profound is praying what is actually in you and not what you think ought to be in you. Do you and many of us, if, if you're, you know, maybe you grew up in church or you've been at church for a long time, and we have learned in our prayer lives to pray what ought to be in us. When we sit down to pray, sometimes it's a, it's a mechanical exercise. It's almost like a chant. And we, when emotions surface that make us uncomfortable or thoughts that make us uncomfortable about our lives, we, we stop praying. We push those feelings aside so that we can start talking at God again because we think he doesn't want to hear that stuff. He doesn't want that. And that would be a fine pattern of prayer if it weren't completely unbiblical and not at all what Jeremiah does here. Do you only pray what ought to be in you? Like prayer is a daily exam where God is measuring your, your theology and your doctrine, making sure it's correct. Right, your prayer looks like this. God, you are, I, life is hard right now, but you're so good, and I, and I, but your heart is screaming, are you good? But you can't say it. Or do you pray to a God that's actually there? No, God, I, I, I want to think you're good. I do, but I don't see it right now. I don't know where you are. Which do you think God wants to hear? Does he want to hear the empty platitude? Or does he want to hear the real life person talking to another real life God? God does not want your eloquence. He does not want your performance. He wants you. Think about that. He wants you. This is why Jesus, when he teaches us to pray, he says, don't pray like the Pharisees who do it for show. Pray you. Go in your closet and pray you. He wants your doubts and your fears and your accusations. He can't work with what you think you ought to be. He can't do anything with that. He can only work with what you are. So can you give that to him? Have you ever argued with God like Jeremiah is doing? Have you ever gotten in an argument with him? Um, God, this is who you said you are. This is who you say I am. This is what you promised to do. But right now, I don't know where, the, I don't know what, where you are. Have you ever said something like that to him? Have you ever asked him, God, are you really good? I know you say it, but are you right now? Are you actually there? Are you listening to me? With all the evil in our world, and how can you allow my child to go through this? How can you let my spouse endure this? Why is the cancer back after everything we've been through? God, why do I still not have a job that can pay my bills and support my family? When you say you're good, how are these things compatible, God? Have you ever done that before? Have you ever prayed that? And here's something amazing about God and his word, okay? There's a guy named Philip Yancey. He's an author. He wrote a book called Prayer. And he points out that there is no argument against God 
and his existence or his goodness. In the old atheists and agnostics, so think Bertrand Russell, Voltaire, David Hume, or the new ones, think Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris. He says there's no argument in any of their writings against the existence of God or his goodness that you cannot find in the book of Psalms, Job, Habakkuk, and Lamentations. And I would add to that Jeremiah. And I love what he says. He says, you've got to hand it to an all-powerful God who not only allows us to reject him if we don't want him, but gives us the best arguments by which to do so. And if that's true, and as I've, as I've studied God's word and the prayers in the Bible, I think it is true. Then there is almost nothing you can't say about God if you say it to him. There's almost nothing you can say about God that you can't say about God if you say it to him. Now listen, I'm not saying that everything you say about God is right or true. That's not true. And we're going to get to that part in a minute. But he wants to hear it if it's there. In fact, if you're thinking it or feeling it, he already knows it. You're not fooling him. There's nothing you can say to him about him or you that he doesn't already know. But here's the difference, okay? Everybody struggles with prayer. Everybody struggles with God, let's be honest. Here's the difference. Skeptics argue about God. Believers argue with God. Can you bring him what you really are and pray it to him? Do you know how much better prayer is when you do that? It's like everything you love about counseling, but it's free and you can do it anytime. It's a a beautiful gift. God wants you in prayer, not what you should be or what you think you should be. Just you. And see, that's what Jeremiah is doing. He's He's saying to God, God, here's where I'm at. This is me and nothing else. But that's not all Jeremiah does, okay? After he speaks straight from the heart, no holds barred, he holds nothing back. The next thing he does is he shuts up. He's quiet. And I don't know how long he had to wait for a response. I don't know. But he's quiet. And he listens. And then God speaks. Here's verse 19. He says, Jeremiah, if you return, I will restore you and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. So Jeremiah says, Jeremiah, I hear you. Repent. Try again. God says, Jeremiah, I appreciate your honesty. I hope you can appreciate mine. Jeremiah, I understand. We've talked about this before. The pain, the suffering, the frustration. I've heard you. I've seen you. But I will not let you wallow in it. I will not let it cloud your judgment. I will not let you lose focus on what your life is about. So Jeremiah, start over. Say worthwhile things now, not Debbie Downer things. And God goes on. He says, they, the people, your accusers, the people you're so upset with, the people you're talking to me about, he says, they will turn to you, but you will not turn to them. You know, God's putting his finger on something Jeremiah's missing in his life right now, something he's lost sight of. Saying, Jeremiah, you listen to me. You're listening to them too much. 
I set the agenda. I give the word. And as you give my word, as you share my word, they will turn to you, but you cannot turn to them because they will let you down and I will not. And it's not, it's not enough to pray to, to God with all you've got. You have to pray to a God who can interrupt you, who can say something back. Do you pray to a God who can interrupt you? And, and many of us, even just some of the time we pray, we pray to God like he's Siri, you know, the iPhone, artificial intelligence on your, on your iPhone. And we, we say, Siri, why is life so hard? And she maps out to an ice cream shop, right? <laughs> That's what we want. That's not, that is not prayer. Real prayer is listening to another person who can challenge you and correct you and speak to you? Do you pray to a God who can say, repent? Who can say, wrong, start over? Anything less than that in your prayer life or what you want from God is not a relationship. Relationships and intimacy require repentance. Ask anyone, if you don't believe me, who has a roommate or a spouse or a parent or a child. (laughs) You cannot be in relationship without interruption. God is no different. In fact, he's the best interrupter because he knows you better than you know yourself. His words are truer than your own. Do you pray to a God who can interrupt you? Now, what I'm not saying is that you're going to hear an audible voice from God. That has not generally been my experience, and it's not often how God works, I think. And again, Jeremiah's call is unique here as a prophet. But I'll tell you this, there are times in my life in my prayer life where I have felt God's interruption. There are times when I'm praying about my own pain and doubt and frustration, which is always, you know, larger than life because I'm a very dramatic person. So there are times in my life where I'm praying those things and suddenly I find myself praying about the pain of someone else. And I'm like, how did I, I was talking about me. (laughs) How did that happen? Has that ever happened to you? Or I'm angry and I'm, I'm angry at somebody or something and I'm, I'm praying to God, God, you take care of this. I can't handle this anymore. And by the, by the end, I'm praying for the strength to forgive. Or do you pray uh, God's words in your own prayer? Do you, do you, do you go to the, his word and pray his words? They l- let them interrupt you? You know, the book of Psalms, is just, it's a collection of prayers. Do you go there and pray these over your own prayers? During your own prayers? Do you let God interrupt you there? See, we we need prayer, but we have to pray to a God who interrupts. A real person on the other end of the line, or we are, it is a waste of time. And God's interruption, let me tell you, it is one of the most most loving things he can do for you, is to interrupt you. It means he's listening to you. But it's not the most loving thing that he does for us, not for us, not for Jeremiah. If If you look... At verse 20, look at what God says to Jeremiah at the very end. He says, and, and Jeremiah, I will make you this to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail over you, for I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. Now, if those words sound familiar to you. They are almost verbatim what God said to Jeremiah in chapter 1 at the very beginning of his call, almost word for word. God is reminding Jeremiah, remember what I promised you all those years ago? It's hard to know how long Jeremiah has been in ministry at this moment in his book. But let's say it's halfway through 20 years. 
It's been 20 years since he was called by God. God is saying, 20 years ago, Jeremiah, do you remember what I said? Because I do. So Jeremiah, I will say it again. I'm with you. I'm with you. Nothing's changed. Do you pray to a God who says it again? Who says it again? It's interesting, isn't it, how often we go to God for new information. I, I, God, I don't know what to do. Just tell me what to do. God, I don't know what you're up to. Show me. God, there's gaps that I can't, that I don't understand. Show, help me. Explain it to me. Show me. And so often in those moments, what we get back is not new information, but old promises. This is what happens to Jeremiah. And, and the way this text reads, he, he gets this reminder from God. It's the same words. And then in chapter 16, he's right back at it. That was enough for him. He's preaching God's hard word to God's difficult people all over again. And when I first read that, it surprised me because how did, how did God saying that deal with Jeremiah's doubts and fears and anger and hurt? He, he didn't get anything new. How could that possibly about what happened between the beginning of these verses and the end? What did God do that impacted Jeremiah so much? And I... Do you remember uh, as a kid, like the first time you disappointed your parents? You probably don't because you did it all the time, right? But you, you, you remember a time, you remember a time early on when you disappointed your parents? Um, I remember, it wasn't the first time, but I remember um, as a, as when I was really young, um, doing something to my sister, I don't really remember what I did, something mean, something not right. And my father saw me and he, he pulled me aside and he was talking to me about why I shouldn't do that again. And I was angry and I was crying. But mostly, I remember I was just ashamed. I was embarrassed. Because I knew what I had done wasn't right. I knew that I had let my father down. I knew I wasn't being who he wanted me to be. And he saw that and he grabbed my face and he, he made me look at him. And he said, you know, I will always love you, right? That was not new information. I already knew that. But this is the moment. I don't remember the first time. This is the moment I remember. Why? It's because there's some things in life, it's not the first time you hear it that's most important. It's the second. It's the fifth. It's the tenth. It's the fiftieth. It's the hundredth time. It's not on our wedding day that our vows matter the most. It's when you can say them to your partner on your 50th anniversary. That's when it matters the most. After the fights and the misunderstandings and the hurts and the pains and the baggage and the, and the hard parts of the story and the doubts and the anger and the grief, to look them in the eye and say, again, I'm with you. It's, it's one thing for God to say to Jeremiah, I will be with you, I will strengthen you. It's one, it, it, no matter what, it's another thing after 20 years and all of Jeremiah's doubt and fear and anger and weakness and failure to hear God say, I'm still here, Jeremiah. I'm still here. God, after all that, Jeremiah thinks, right, do you, are you, do you still love me? Can you still be with me? Is that even possible anymore? And God says, of course, and I will say it again. I'll say it again. 
You see, Jeremiah shows, and God knows, that we come to prayer for all kinds of reasons, for stuff and for answers and for help and for deliverance, for clarity. But what God wants to give us in those moments, what we really need, is him. And he will give that to us if we let him. And he'll say it again, yes, I love you. Yes, I'm with you. These are, in fact, the last words Jesus gives us in the book of Matthew. He says, I am with you always, always. And I know, I know, there are moments in life where it doesn't feel like it. There's sometimes these words, these promises, they feel empty, and sometimes they help for a day or an hour or a minute. (laughs) And then we're right back in our fear and our doubt and our loneliness, and we're tempted to think, I can't go to him again. I can't doubt him again. He can't take me back again. Listen, he will never, ever, ever tire of telling you, I love you and I'm with you again and again. He wants all of you. Even the ugly parts, the hard parts that you don't want to talk about. The parts that only he can see. And yes, if you come to him, he will challenge you. He will change you. He will not leave you how he finds you. But the most important thing he will say to you each and every time, we, if we listen carefully as this, he will say to us, I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. Let's pray to him now. Father, we know you are with us now as you promised to be. As, as, as we continue to worship this morning, teach us to pray. Not because we have to or we're supposed to, but because you want to hear from us. Open our hearts to be honest with you and with each other in how we pray. May your, may your words give voice to our words. May your spirit intercede where our words fail. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.